All right, this is Gary Parrish again from CBS Sports, and it's now Wednesday, September 23rd, and this is the Eye on College Basketball Podcast. I'm joined uh, today, per usual, by my colleagues Matt Norlander and Sam Vecini, and it's been a, a pretty quiet week in the world of college basketball, save a commitment here or there and a preseason awards list here or there. So I want to start with this. I saw that uh, Blue Ribbon, the fine magazine, um, named Providence's Chris Dunn as its preseason national player of the year. And I don't disagree with that in terms of talent and stats because he's uh, undeniably talented and he's going to post big numbers uh, for Ed Cooley's team. But he, here's the concern, or you guys correct me, maybe, it's, maybe it shouldn't be a concern. His team. Is his team going to be good enough for him to be honored that way? Because if you start looking at the preseason bracketologies, whether they're um, you know, in a, in a magazine or on a website, uh, some have Providence in, some have Providence missing the tournament. They are very much a bubble team. And the truth is, I went back and looked this up this morning. I, I don't want to say it's never happened because I, I didn't go back to the like you know 40s, but you don't really find guys who don't make the NCAA tournament who win the Naismith you know, National Player of the Year. It just it doesn't happen. You better be on a good team. You better be a great player on a good team. Is that a concern? Because we're going to do this at some point soon. Name our preseason national player of the year, freshman of the year, All-American teams. We have not decided who we're going to pick. Um, Chris Dunn is an obvious candidate, but I'll start with you, Sam. Should we move or should people be hesitant to, to, to name him that? Because I do think it's supposed to be a prediction. Like It's supposed to be, how do we mm-hmm. think this is going to end? And yeah. is it going to end with him mm-hmm. in the NCAA tournament? Because if it doesn't, he, he probably can't win that award. Yeah, no. Uh, good morning, everybody. It's good to be on the podcast again. It's mid-morning here uh, in the Central Time Zone, and it's damn near noon in uh, the East. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> nice. 8 a.m., uh, very sunny out here in California. That's hard so to believe that I can't it's complain. sunny in California. Yeah, I know. Really. Um, no, I agree with you, Gary. Uh, Chris Dunn, I've been, uh, I think, the leader of the Chris Dunn hype train, really, for the entire last year, or maybe not the last year, but I would say since January or so, I had him like in the top 10 of my NBA draft big board before he decided to return to Providence. And it's hard for me. I can't pick him as the national player of the year, because again, I do think it is something of a prediction. Um, If you were making me pick the best player in college basketball this year, I would unequivocally pick Chris Dunn, but I think it's a different award that we're predicting. I think that we're trying to predict the Naismith, the Wooden Award winners, and I can't really wrap my head around picking Chris Dunn for that award. I I think that Providence has a decent shot to make the uh, NCAA tournament, but it's going to be tough for them uh, to really be a high-profile enough team because really they're like a middle-of-the-pack Big East team this year, and I mean, the Big East profile is pretty pretty solid over the last couple of years. But uh, if you're a middle-of-the-pack Big East team, I think it's going to be really tough for you to get the kind of national attention that you need uh, to win that award. Uh, again, he's a great player, but I, I just can't uh, pick him uh, in my right mind uh, for I, National Player of the Year. I get less concerned with the you know whether they can get enough national attention playing in the Big East, being a middle-of-the-pack Big East team, playing on – you know, Fox Sports 1 as opposed to ESPN or CBS, because on some level, like we're responsible for creating the national attention. Like we, we, like we can give national attention, but my concern is that. Trust me, I will throughout the year. Right. Like I said, I've been like on top of what Chris Dunn has been doing for the last year. Yeah, no, I hear you. I I guess my thing is, you know, when people, you know, ask me, so, you know, what do you look for in a player of the year? 
to me, it's almost got to be a great player on, at the very least, a good team, a really good team. And and by that, I mean a, a top, top 25, 25, top yeah. 30. Like, boy, like, I can maybe keep looking at you if you're like others receiving votes type of team, but you better be mm-hmm. right around there. And I just don't know that Providence is going to be right around there. Now, in fairness, a lot of people didn't have them projected to do what they did last year. So maybe maybe they'll surprise again. But I tend to, for a preseason award, I want to look, because I do think it's a, pr- a, predict- a prediction or a projection, and I want to try to identify somebody who's going to be great on a really good team. And if that's the question, I might be leaning more toward Buddy Hield, Cal Wilcher, somebody like that, because we know they're going to be great because they've already been great and they're back. And, and we suspect their teams are going to be good because on paper they should be. Where do you fall on all this, Norlander? In terms of Dunn, Providence is going to be hindered because they lose LaDonte Henton, who for a lot of people in that league, a lot of coaches, considered Henton to be the biggest problem because he was so tough to scheme a matchup against when you also put Dunn into the fold and into the formula. So they don't have Henton, and they don't have Carson DeRosiers, who is a seven-foot senior. So Dunn is going to be doing a lot of this on his own. I do think you know, a bold proclamation here on September 23rd. I do think Providence will reach the tournament. I think Dunn is going to have a, a fantastic year. I, I, Jan, I can't see him being the player of the year, though, because I'm with you guys fully in that when it comes to player of the year awards, it is a combination of, of personal and team performance. That's just the way it goes. And I think that's, I think that's fair overall. I cannot see Providence being a top 30 team, even though I think Chris Dunn is going to play his way into being a top six or seven pick coming next year's draft. Could definitely be a first-team guy. Sure. And in fact, if Providence ends up having a season where, and we'll see how the season plays out, the kind of games they play, the the games they win or they don't win. But if Dunn basically tugs this team to an eight seed, like there might be just a no doubt about it. Like without done Providence doesn't win 12 games kind of deal um in terms of overall prospects and and who might be in the category I think Buddy Heald is a terrific nominee I think George Nyang at Iowa State could be a huge potential nominee I know Sam is big time on Wiltshire although I wonder if on his own team uh what's going to happen there because I think Sabonis is going to have a huge year not that he would be in the conversation for winning player of the year but I wonder if there's there might be a little bit of love shared that might hurt Wiltshire to a certain extent. But I think Sam has told sure. me that he expects Wiltshire to have a McDermott light type of year for the season ahead, which would I could definitely potentially see and would be really interesting. Uh, but I, in general, just to kind of broaden the the discussion. Let here, me stop you on Wiltshire there. I mean, last okay. year he averaged for a team that was a, were they a two seed Gonzaga. I guess, Gonzaga was a two seed. Okay, for for a two seed, he averaged seventeen and six, shot fifty four percent from the field, forty seven percent from three point range, seventy nine percent from the free throw line. If you assume Gonzaga is going to be in that two three seed range again, which they should be, and you assume Wilcher's not going to get worse, I think he's among the safest picks out there. I think that's fair. I I I think that's totally reasonable. I just kind of have a. I wonder if uh, if the if the numbers stay about the same and Sabonis gets better, which I think he's going to. I think Sabonis is going to have a ridiculously really good year. I wonder if he might just have a little bit of competition within his team that might have people look elsewhere. But generally speaking, guys, what I think we're heading toward, 
And if there's some freshman that has like a crazy good year, maybe. A well, I mean, could you consider yeah. Ben Simmons, LSU? Yeah, so Simmons. Scott Labissier, yeah, Kentucky. Could. I don't know about Labissier, but Simmons, yeah. You well, Murray. I mean, Jamal Murray is yeah, one. Murray's Jamal guy. Murray, Kentucky. I, I, I don't want to misquote Cal, but he might have said Murray's going to be the best point guard or best guard in college basketball if it's not his own guy in Ulysses. I can't remember. Someone said mm-hmm. that. Anyway, I don't have all the the list of pre- previous seasons in front of me, but it feels like, and I could be way wrong here, but I don't think we've had this much of a, a toss-up for player of the year heading yeah. into a season in a while. GP, can you remember? We might have talked about this last year as we entered the season, and it was like you know Kaminsky was a, was a big-time favorite going in. But usually we have one or two guys that we feel, even if they don't end up being like that, like it's kind of like, no, clearly it's, it's, it's option A or B or maybe C. Here, it's usually we have two, like maybe two guys you could reasonably consider or a freshman. That's usually the way mm-hmm. it goes. Um, whereas here, I think you could reasonably go Chris Dunn, Kyle Wilcher, Buddy Hill, even George uh, Niang if you wanted. Um, yeah, I think you yeah. could reasonably go Ben Simmons. Um, yes. Yeah, there's, you could reasonably go. You, you, yeah. you could reasonably go five, six, seven different directions. I, w- I would say, and if you really want to, I mean, Virginia, you know, oh, Brogdon, Brogdon yeah. is probably going to be in the in the conversation there. Um, and then the problem with the Virginia guys, and I know pace of play, and I get all that, but the numbers don't jump out because of pace of play, right? But but that yeah. that becomes a problem for them, not necessarily with me, but for the the same AP voters who can't seem to make sense of a ballot on a Monday morning in December, they, they're going to struggle with national player of the year averaging 11 points a game. And, and one more yep. team that, that I think these guys will ultimately do is, you know, so well, but we'll cancel each other out. will be Wichita state. I mean, you've got two of the most recognizable players in the game and Van Vliet and Ron Baker. I think both of them will make third team or, or better. They're both going to be, on that, I think they're going to have huge years and and be responsible for Wichita State winning that league again. But it's it's kind of cool. I mean, there are pros and cons to this, right? I mean, it's it's cool that we've got seven or eight or nine options. Oh God, you could go Marcus are, Page. Yeah, I thought I mean, about if, Page. If you're even going down there, you could throw in guys like Nigel Hayes. Like you could, Nigel Wisconsin. Hayes is absolutely in there. Page, you could do because yeah. um, North Carolina could very well, you know, Mellow be the Trimble. Top team in the, in the country, this is ridiculous. How many right. names we're getting to? So that's that's fun, but it definitely could be a situation where, you know, whatever with casual fans, they just don't necessarily. You need a, a superstar or two, and I think we'll get that. But right now, a lot of options. If I had to pick one, guys, oh boy. I mean, Sam, you'd probably go Wilcher. I I think I can't go Page. If I had to pick one, I would pick Buddy Heald. And, As someone who uh, picked Marcus Page last year, I would warn you against picking Marcus Page. I, I would pick. Here's the thing: is I would pick Buddy Heald, but at the same time, I'm kind of being hypocritical, Gary, because I'm not picking against Kansas to win the league, and so, and I can't pick someone on Kansas. I don't think they'll have. Any, I think I, I think you can be um, a national player of yeah. the year without winning your league. Kevin Durant was. I mean, yeah, wasn't wasn't McDermott? McDonald. Uh, I don't know Creighton, that Creighton won that. Oh, well, league. Creighton didn't win the Big East tournament. Um, did Nova win the regular season that year? I think. So. Yeah, I, I think so. I want right. to say that Creighton beat Villanova every time or something. Remember, they, like, oh, oh yeah, they, yeah, they, they, they beat their brains oh, in, and then Villanova would beat everybody else, and the Creighton would beat their yep. brains in. I guess something like that. Yeah, that's um, right. Exactly. Right. Um, I, I, yeah, think, no. I think I'd go Wiltshire Hill probably. Wiltshire Hill or Ben Simmons. I think that's where I'd be sitting. One of one of those three. But uh, yeah, I mean. 
I've been, uh, as Matt said, kind of talking up Kyle Wilcher. There, there is a minutes concern. He only played 28 minutes a game last year. Um, but having said that, the Sabonis thing kind of canceled out by the fact that he's more of a direct sub for Karnowski than he is for Wilcher. Wouldn't surprise me to see Wilcher play some of the three this year. Um, it's a concern, though, as far as usage, whether or not he's going to get enough of it. Um, but having said that, he's been... He was incredible last year. His Real numbers quick. match up on a rate on a rate basis with McDermott's uh, from on, his junior year. Sorry to cut you off, Sam. Just before we move on, just a real quick thing on Simmons. I, I really hope his freshman year isn't, isn't gone to waste because we can be <laughs> cranking up front here. Listen, man. Like, sorry, but you know Johnny Jones. There is concern <laughs> that that LSU team, like that LSU team, could be really fun, really relevant. There's as much optimism I think for that program as as, as there's been since basically went to the final four and I would argue even more because you know they've got the number one recruit in the country come in and I hope it's I hope it's a good year for the SEC and for LSU and 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 for Simmons because he is really fun to watch and a lot of people have not seen him play and he has got a tremendous smarts and savvy on the court for a guy his size his handle his passing so I hope I hope LSU is relevant I hope they're you know, easily going to begin to the tournament. It'd be a shame if for some reason that program really kind of stumbled its way to another eight, nine game. Yeah, well, I, I have no doubt that that team's going to be fun, at least like they've been top 10 in the country in uh, pace of play for the last couple of years. So they're going to get out and run. And Ben Simmons, you could not choose a better maestro of an offense uh, that is transition based. He's like you said, he's terrific. He's got incredible feel for the game. He's a great passer and he's just a freight train in transition. Uh, so I'm excited to see them play. I have my concerns as well. Uh, a lot of people really like uh, Antonio Blakeney this year, some pundits, but uh, I'll say that NBA scouts aren't necessarily as high on him as they were with him coming out of high school because he uh, had a rough summer this uh, time around going to all these events, all these different camps. Uh, Tim Quarterman's a guy that did have a really good summer, but he's a lead ball handler that doesn't really shoot well. So how do you mesh him and Simmons who also doesn't really shoot well? Um, so, so it's going to be interesting. They have a lot of, they have a lot of things they have to work out and that scares me uh, with their coach involved there, but um, they're going to be fun no matter what I think. We will figure out the National Player of the Year for CBS Sports uh, before we need to, I uh, promise. Let's move on, though, today. Um, uh, since we last spoke uh, on this podcast, Cassius Winston committed to uh, Michigan State. He's a point guard from Detroit. Um, uh, he's, the, I think, the third top 45 national recruit from the class of 2016 to commit to Tom Izzo's program. And at this moment, and I don't know that it'll stay there because Duke could add Harry Giles and 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 at that point would probably be number one in the country uh, in terms of recruiting. But at this moment, Michigan State has the number one recruiting class in the country, according to 247 Sports. So um, this is sort of interesting to me because uh, not only did Tom Izzo go through uh, uh, maybe just a couple, but but certainly a couple of down years relative, relative to his own success in recruiting, um, he also probably more than any other high-profile coach has um, explained how he explained publicly how he's disenchanted with the recruiting process. Like I, I know one of the reasons. Um, obviously, he's turned down a number of NBA jobs, and and is happy that he did that. Why wouldn't he be? But if you were to ask him, 
do you ever regret turning one down? He'd say no, but um, the idea of getting away from high major recruiting uh, certainly would be a, a reason to go to the NBA. And yet here he is with the number one recruiting class in the country. How does this happen? And we've seen it with Mike Krzyzewski as well. Um, two guys, you know, uh, Kay already in the Hall of Fame, Izzo going to be in the Hall of Fame, you know, sort of at a, with all due respect, advanced age, uh, re-energized and, um, and operating at a, at a new level in terms of recruiting. How, how does this happen? Well, Michigan State has remained relevant and reached the tournament every year. Um, you know, they were, what, a one seed, no 12, uh, three, four. Last year, they made a final four as a, as a seven seed. I think that does have a, a certain amount of, uh, there's a certain factor that I think that helps keep Izzo relevant there. I, I just think that he is, uh, he's, you know, everyone knows how good of a coach he is, but, you know, I think he's, Never truly lost an ability to recruit. I think he's got a really strong staff. Uh, I think the staff helps, uh, certainly. Staff is really good. And to be honest, you know, when we did our forecasts, you know, that that feature we ran last week on the best programs going forward, the best states and all that stuff, and we picked Michigan State over Michigan, I, I just with what Michigan State has in terms of recruiting right now, Cassius Winston was, to me, he's going to be a terrific four-year point guard for Michigan State. He is... Um, a perfect fit for that school, in my opinion. Uh, and I thought that he would end up going there, and so he will. And so Izzo can look ahead and be pretty confident that he's going to be set in his backcourt for the most part. And then I don't know if there's a certain trend or science behind it. I think sometimes, you know, you just when you're a Hall of Fame-level coach, you're going to end up getting these kind of recruits. I, I, do, I will say this. They're not going to end up being the top class. But I did not think we were going to get to a point where Michigan State would have the number one class in the country. That's certainly a, a very big, very huge thing. And will certainly propel Izzo, I would think, to at least another half decade of coaching. He's, you know, he's an interesting guy to talk to and, and can be self-deprecating and, and isn't really afraid to, to talk on any subject overall. But I don't think he's anywhere close to retiring just yet. But I think this... this boosts him away from any sort of disenchantment he might have had in terms of recruiting overall, and why wouldn't it when you're at this point? It is funny that um, last week as I was talking to coaches, and this is sort of connected to recruiting, in no way connected to Michigan State, but connected to recruiting in general, um, I was working on uh, the Inside College Hoops column that I, I do every Friday now, and uh, you know, it, it, one of the things it, it, it requires me to do is, is frankly, talk on the phone mo- a lot more than I used to, uh, or I, I had been, you know, that I typically do in September. You know, I'm, I'm making phone, more phone calls than usual, talking to more people than usual. And I had one coach say that, um, you know, we were just, it, it was just a random sort of conversation, just chit chatting. Hi, major coach, and he said, um, I have been asked for things. You know, for people who don't know the recruiting calendar, coaches are out right now, like uh, uh, in-home visits and uh, evaluations, going to workouts, going to schools, that kind of stuff, and sitting down with families, uncles, AAU coaches. And I had one coach tell me, I've been, quote, asked for stuff, asked for things more over the past couple of weeks being out on the road than I ever have. It, it, it's, it's, al- it's always been there. Like you always would run into it where somebody might imply you might need to do a little something extra or a lot something extra to get something done. Um, but but it, it, it didn't happen often. It happens sometimes. Now, this coach said, it's happening like a lot. And uh, sometimes it's just implied. Other times it's explicit. Um, 
and and I said really, I just sort of filed it away, and and then subsequently in the week when I was talking to other coaches, I would sort of bring it up. I'd say, hey, listen, I was talking to so and so the other day, and he said that he's been running into blah blah blah, and and I, I had two other coaches say, you know what, yes, I've I've bumped into that as well, and. It's just it's 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 just it puts you in an awkward situation because you don't know who's playing ball, who isn't. But it is certainly at a level different than what it what it has been recently, and 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 frankly, what what I can ever remember. Why do you think that is? I I wrote about uh, at least suggested a theory um, in the final thought of the Inside College Hoops pro, uh, column. Uh, my theory was this: we've reached a point with with you know amateurism that whether it's Jay Billis or people with similar platforms are, are screaming about how, um, you know, student athletes deserve more than what they're getting, at least the best of the best do. Um, the idea that we uh, restrict uh, the earning potential of a Ben Simmons or a Scala Bissier or whomever um, is, is unfair. Other students on scholarships aren't restricted. Why should athletes be restricted? And if you, if you start to hear and maybe I'm maybe I'm like really connecting some dots here that don't need to be connected. But if you start to hear as the parent or the uncle or the AAU coach or even, you know, of an elite level prospect or even if you're the elite level prospect, if you're consistently hearing people say the best of the best deserve more, it's it, it's a little easier to convince yourself and rationalize, convince yourself you do deserve more and rationalize implying that you want more. And I wonder if that the, the national conversation we're having about amateurism has led to people saying, I read Jay Billis said we deserve more. I heard so-and-so say we deserve more. We, we do deserve, deserve more. Let's get it. Do, do you think there's anything to that? Or is it just completely coincidental that um, this national conversation is going on now? And uh, at least according to three coaches I talked with, um, you know, pe- prospects and the people around them are you know, have their hands out more than usual. I think that that's a pretty decent explanation. I mean, like we obviously haven't done the research on this, but I think that that's a pretty solid explanation personally. I mean, I, I, it seems like it is a matter of time before these kids get, you know, some sort of money from the university. I mean, it might not happen for the next 10 years or something, but uh, it does seem like it's on the radar of it eventually happening. And, you know, if that's on the radar, uh, you're going to have hands out from kids that uh, want to get there, that want to be there, that might not uh, necessarily be uh, around whenever these handouts do happen from the uh, from the university. And, uh, you know, it's just a very difficult minefield to track, again, without having done the research for me, because, you know, there are plenty of reasons that uh, I, I can't think of off the top of my head, but you would think there are plenty of reasons why that could happen. But I do think that the uh, the amateurism versus uh, monetary uh, versus paying the players argument is definitely a good reason for why uh, people come to coaches and say that they want uh, something extra, we'll call it. Coaches across the board will also say entitlement among elite basketball players is unequivocally, without a doubt, at a level higher than it's ever been. And it's not the coaches getting older yeah. and things were back way back better in my day. Every single coach that has been in the game more than a decade will tell you. Well, the- I, I, I'll say this. I think that every coach from every era of basketball says that 
uh, oh, back in my day, it, it was way better. It was way, way more, uh, way more real. The basketball was real then. You know what I mean? Yes, but the coaches now, the point to the fact that you used to be able to recruit kids and there wouldn't be an expectation that they would even be starting by their sophomore year. Now, if you're a freshman, yeah. you, sh- you, you should be starting game one and getting minutes. And I think, Gary, your theory combined with that is, to a certain extent, largely why this is happening. Gary, are you able to, to shed any light on, in terms of the handouts, were you given any examples of what these players or their parents or their AU coaches are seeking when it, when it comes to recruitments and these coaches are doing in-home visits? What kind of hints are subtle or not so subtle are they dropping? Oh, it's, it's, it's the typical stuff you hear about, um, you know, cash, um, jobs, um, you know, just, just, you know, help in general with things. And, um, and that, that's sort of the way it's been forever. There used to be like the old cliche was, uh, you know, buy somebody a car, um, outside of Ole Miss football, I guess people, I don't think people operate, uh, that, that way anymore because it's just so easy to get caught, but cash is, um, you know, cash is the simplest way to not get caught. It's a, it's a, it's a cash transaction. There's no paper trail. And the only way you get caught is if somebody records you or if, um, or if somebody just rats on you. And even if they just rat on you, it's then your, their word against yours. So, um, I think jobs are also very difficult to prove. Yeah, and we can uh, wrap up with, with this story. Uh, I, I know that one of the challenges for the NCAA um, over the years, I don't know how much of a challenge it is today, but I know over the years they've really struggled with, um, in terms of jobs, so uh, a, a prospect commits to a school, he moves there. The parent, whether it's the mom, the dad, whomever, moves there as well, which in and of itself is kind of silly. Like, think about all the people you know, like all your friends, everybody. How many people do you know went to college and their parents moved to the city where they right, went to college? Exactly. It <laughs> never happens. All right. It's just like you you couldn't name a person who that who ever went off to college and their parents went with them, except for basketball players. It's the craziest <laughs> thing ever. All right. So um it, it, so it always looks a little questionable, if not a lot questionable. And and, and often uh, these parents will get a job with um you know in town, right? And particularly if we're talking about a little college town, uh, all the jobs are connected to people who are boosters for, for that university. And so it looks like a booster is giving a prospect's parent a job. And because that's exactly what it is. But, but the problem the NCAA has run into is that, okay, what do you do about it? Because the, the argument is, yo, you can't you know, enroll in school and then a booster give your mom a job. That's crazy. The counter argument is um, my mom wanted to move to be closer to watch me play basketball. Who are you to prevent her from doing that? She can't move there without a job. So she had to get a job. And where do you want her to get a job in this little college town that's not connected to a booster of some sort? Because Everybody in the college town supports the university, at the very least by buying season tickets, which makes you a booster. So you telling my mom she can't live close to me and, and she can't work because the only place she can get a job is with somebody you say is connected to the university. You really want to fight this fight in court? And so the NCAA basically has to punt on these situations time and time again. So I, I do think, Sam, to sort of underline your point, um, cash is – if I were a college basketball coach, I'd be dealing in cash. Every time. Mm-hmm. But um, jobs is another good one because it's very di- – all this stuff is always very difficult to prove. Beyond that, um, 
it's it's even if you can prove it is exactly what you think it is, it becomes a you know problematic to try to suggest that it's actually a bad thing because if if somebody wants to push back on you and take you to court over it, um, you might end up looking just like Roger Goodell. I guess you might end up having to say you know you might have a federal judge say why did you think it was okay to punish this person for that? So the NCAA, mm-hmm. I don't want to say they never pursue those uh, types of situations, but I know they're very uh, they're very dicey every time. Well, well, let's be honest. The NCAA uh, isn't exactly an organization that has a problem doling out unfair punishment either necessarily. It, that is true, but when, <laughs> when somebody has the resources to really push back on them, they, often, they often lose. I mean, Johnny, Man- Johnny Manziel is a great example. There was a baseball player um, a few years ago, maybe several years ago, and forgive me because the facts might be a little you know, uh, less than precise, but the gist of the story is true. Uh, uh, he, he had an agent uh, and was, you know, was working with an agent, and the NCAA found out about it, and they ruled the kid ineligible. So you can't, you can't have a, a, a relationship with an agent um, while you're an amateur athlete. And this mm-hmm. kid was... He was a kid from a you know upper middle class, if not wealthy family, two parent home. They had the resources to push back. They took it to court, and basically the judge, you know, got to a point where they said, "Why would we want twenty year olds negotiating multi million dollar contracts by themselves?" Like that, I think that was the deal. The kid had been drafted and was trying to decide whether to go to back to school or, um, or or you know, sign a five million dollar contract or whatever. Yeah. And and the NCAA said, "You can't." have an agent negotiating for you, you're ineligible. And the judge said, that's insanity. You have no right to, to tell a 20-year-old that he can't ne- have assistance, professional help, negotiating contract. Like, what, what in the world? What is wrong with you? And so whenever the NCAA's policies or regulations are, are taken to court, not always, um, but often, they, they don't stand up legally. Yeah. You know, it's really, um, it's just that, uh, frankly, most people... Uh, most high-level student athletes uh, don't have the resources to fight something as powerful as the NCAA, so you mm-hmm. end up caving. Yeah, exactly, and that's why, to a certain degree, a lot of what the NCAA is built on is, is something of a house of cards, and it's why they're in the middle of what could be, honestly, one of the most important lawsuits in sports at any level ever with what the NCAA is battling in the Ed O'Bannon case, and I think you're right on It's It's constantly taking on an uphill battle because of the pure nature of amateurism and with how many intelligent, respectable people look at the setup of the NCAA and say, this is morally unethical. And the rules that you have set for yourselves that have been in place for decades, just because they've been there forever, don't mean that they should, you know, be void of any sort of evolution or outright, you know, fundamental change. And that's, it's just, you know, we're, we're making steps and we've had progress in the past half decade, but it's going to take another 10, 15, 20 years for the NCAA as we truly know it to just completely change from what it was for most yeah. of the 20th century. Sure, yeah. I mean, it's moving in the proper direction, but it, I'm hesitant to even call it steps. It's, it's, it's baby steps, like very yes. small baby steps yeah. relative I mean, to what it should be. Yeah, like just this week, the NCAA like said that you will get a year ban for participating in fantasy sports. So yeah, we're still pretty backwards <laughs> yeah, at this point. It's just a yet yet another restriction on an amateur uh, student. So although in this one, like I kind of get because they could influence the outcome of a game in theory and win, but uh, and but like if if the NFL and other sports leagues have ruled that 
fantasy uh, stuff is not gambling, well, then the Instablade, at the very least, is on the opposite end of them. Although, yeah. I, it, you know, to put it bluntly, the idea that fantasy sports isn't gambling is just asinine. It's quite clearly gambling. It's a, it's approaching competition um, with money on the line just from a different perspective rather than trying yep. to lay seven points or get seven points or whatever. It's just you're, you're gambling on the outcomes of things happening in sports just in a different way. So, but that's a, yep. that's another podcast for another day. Remember uh, you can subscribe to the on college basketball podcast on iTunes, the quickest way uh, to get your hands on the latest editions. That's the way to do it over at iTunes. Make sure to do that. Either way uh, we will talk again next week. I promise till then take care.